0: Welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Malou. I'm joined in studio after a holiday break by Jessica Charo. What's going on? Joe Wolf on. What up? Happy 19. Happy 2019, everyone out there. Um, We were treated to three thrilling games, really. I mean, maybe the Raptors-Spurs game, which is the one we're going to talk about to start the podcast, wasn't necessarily thrilling, but in terms of storylines, obviously very abundant there. Uh, But, you know, also a bit of quick love for that Rockets game and also jamal murray man some incredible shot making uh but uh yeah going back to that spurs raptors game you know Kawhi leonard returning to san antonio for the first time um what did you guys think first off of um the reception that Kawhi got both from the organization showing him a tribute video and also pop you know uh, giving him some some dabs after the game uh, and also just the response from fans
1: i thought it was all expected like the fan response. We anyone who thought he was going to get cheered was kidding themselves. Like I don't care how yeah. I don't care how many championships he win with with a team one, multiple, whatever. When you leave the way he did, you're going to get booted. It's just the nature of the game. You, no one should have expected otherwise. And uh, at the same time, like the Spurs, say what you will about the way they handled the last year. They're still one of the classiest organizations in pro sports. Like if anyone thought they were going to not give him a tribute video. They were also out to launch And I like the fact That they combined it With the Danny Green tribute video Because I saw some people Were like tweeting that It almost like Downplays Kawhi's like singular Importance to the franchise But it's like They clearly did it Because if they had done Just a Kawhi tribute video People would have booed The whole time Mm -hmm. So this was a way to like Get some smattering Of applause in there I, I think it was all expected And even Pop Taking the high road After the game And like putting his arm around Kawhi, they shared some laughs, Pop yelled at a cameraman, classic Pop. Like, it was all what you'd expect from this game, minus the result.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, I mean, if there was one thing that maybe wasn't entirely expected, but that felt good to see, it was Pop and Kawhi embracing at the end of the game and sharing a nice, tender moment, just because there had been a little bit of frostiness there. And obviously, when this stuff is sort of distilled through the media, you never quite know uh, how many grains of salt to take it with but obviously you don't know, pop uh, a month or so ago came out with those comments about Kawhi not being a leader when he was with the Spurs uh, and Kawhi responded in kind and it felt a little bit chilly but obviously uh, they're still on good terms and you know it's nice to see that at the end of the day like these are human beings and they all have uh, their own lives and their own wants and desires and for whatever reason uh you know Kawhi decided he wanted to play elsewhere and that doesn't necessarily have to put a permanent strain on uh relationships that you build in this sport. So
1: speaking of uh whether they are human beings or not. <laughs> did you guys see uh Kawhi's pregame scrum or his like shoot around scrum on uh Thursday when they asked him what he would like to say to Spurs fans and his yeah. response was I'd like to th- uh, I'd like to say thank you for supporting me, Kawhi Leonard, basketball player. That's it. Like <laughs> dude. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean
2: it, was that not basically what he said in that uh in that like I don't know MS-DOS like Microsoft Word 1998 thank you letter that he sent out after oh, the yeah, trade. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um I mean he added like a few more exclamation points or he added whoever wrote that letter added a yeah, few it was exclamation points in Uncle there, Dennis? But, like, By the way, do you see that picture of
0: Uncle Dennis? If someone snapped at the game. His head was just in his hands. <laughs> at oh, yesterday's man. game
1: Well, did you see Kawhi's mom lose it on a uh, Spurs fan?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's not cool Don't go out to a person's family
1: like, yeah. th- th- also, That's
2: going to do with Kawhi Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I agree I, I, Look, booing I, I think it's fine You know what I mean? Like, as long as it doesn't cross the line Into, yeah, like, getting personal And it really and, didn't And, um Well, who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what was said to Kawhi's mom But, like Okay, true Um I mean, chanting traitor Like, whatever I guess, I guess it's all pretty much above board mm-hmm. Um But if you start to, like, go after somebody's personal life and, like, start talking trash to their family members, then I feel like that is crossing a line.
1: Well, there was an Uncle Dennis chant at one point, and I think that's where it got a little touchy because, again, I just think the whole Uncle Dennis thing, don't get me wrong, The like, it it is funny from a social media angle. Yeah. Um, and, And the fact that this guy's, like, uncle reportedly was just controlling everything last year, like, I understand the frustration from Spurs fans. But, again, I keep going back to the fact, like, his uncle essentially, like, took over the role of father figure after his father was murdered when he was a teenager. So I I don't know. Like when people start going into the Uncle Dennis route, it makes me a little uncomfortable. And when you got like 20,000 fans chanting Uncle Dennis, it is a little... I think like that's when the line might have been crossed. It's
0: also belittling when you sort of talk about an agent in that way, right? It's almost like when Phil Jackson talked about LeBron and and Rich Paul and called it his posse and stuff like that. It's like... No, these aren't just like friends and family members. Like these guys are working, and right. they, they are agents, and right. that's you know they're representing Kawhi's best um, interests. But look, this game was really wasn't really about Kawhi after it started. It was really about Demar Derozan getting revenge on the Raptors. I would say, having watched a lot of Demar Derozan over the years, this was probably his most complete game in terms of just first off his first career triple double. Right, he's played like nine, ten years in the league now. For finally got a triple double, um, really showed the maturation in his game in terms of playmaking. Um, But, you know, even had a lot of, like, defensive moments Like, you know, Serge Ibaka tried to post him a couple times Serge has got, like, probably, like, 50 pounds and, like, a couple inches on him And, um, you know, DeMar pulling the chair uh, and getting a couple steals that way Like, DeMar basically got whatever he wanted And he got revenge in the best way possible against the Raptors And we'll see what happens when, um, you know, DeMar returns to Toronto for the first time uh, Shortly after the All-Star break But, I mean, this night couldn't have gone any better for DeMar
1: Yeah, I really couldn't have. I mean, uh, it was cool to see the way the crowd reacted to him too. I'm sure they've been supporting him all season. But they really seemed to be kind of like rallying behind him last night um, as expected. And yeah, he had a great game. And look, I I don't think, like what was lost in it maybe was the fact that people in a way maybe forgot how good DeMar DeRozan was because it was very obvious Kyle Leonard's the better player and the Raptors won the trade and they still have won the trade despite what happened last night but yeah DeMar is still a great player offensively Um, he's become a great playmaker the last Mm -hmm. few years he's essentially the Spurs point guard um, by default and he's having another great year having said that the results of last night the season DeMar's like none of it changes the fact that the Raptors still make that trade 10 out of 10 times and that there's not an executive in the world that wouldn't I don't think is anyone
2: debating that? Like, I I haven't really seen anyone saying that it was a bad trade because of that one result last night. I don't know. I think some of
1: the Twitter reaction was... But this is... We go through this
2: with DeMar every single year, right? He has a great regular season. People, you know, talk themselves into him as, like, you know, a top 20 or top 15 player. And quite honestly, like, if you look at regular season alone, like, the past... Three seasons easily. or more. Like he's been a top twenty player easily, and then he'll flame out in the playoffs. And it's like the conversation about him completely changes going into the next season. Demar's a great player, uh, and I agree with Will. Like last night was one of his one of the best games that I've seen him play. Yeah, quite frankly, like he he's he had a lot of high had that scoring game games, on a string.
0: But like in terms of just combining the scoring and the playmaking, and even a bit of defense and his rebounding, he took he took charge of this game. Um, yeah. and I mean. I like the way his teammates like, rallied around him too. like the Spurs like,
2: they came out played really hard for him.
0: you know like I thought Rudy Gay was really good on defense. Staviss Bertans is really good on
2: defense. Um, yeah. I mean, the Spurs have been playing great yeah. lately. Like, they, they're 11 and three in their last 14 games, and it's not like they've played a cupcake schedule over those 14 games. Like the wins that they've had in that stretch um, are over the Lakers, the Jazz, Suns, Clippers, Sixers, Magic, Wolves, Nuggets. Clippers again, Celtics, Raptors. Like, that's that's a a pretty solid slate of wins for a team that was 11 and 14 when this stretch began. And I think they have the number one offense in all of basketball over that stretch. Their defense has come up to, like, top five in that stretch after being bottom five before that. Um, They've played really, really well. And, like, I know the Raptors have not been playing particularly well lately. They've been banged up. uh, And I think they're really just starting to feel the absences of Kyle Lowry and Jonas Valanciunas. Mm -hmm. Those guys are very important to the team in their own right, but I think it's also just sort of like a trickle-down effect where everybody else on the team is a little bit overextended. I think Serge Ibaka in particular has really felt that because without Valanciunas, he's had to like bang bodies with like Yusuf Nurkic, Joel Embiid, guys that, you know, usually you kind of have Valanciunas there to either back him up or even to start against bigger centers. Um, He looks a little bit worn down to me. And also, um, they just don't really have any other very good facilitators on the team. So without Lowry there, it's like there are some teams, I think, that can survive the loss of their starting point guard for a little bit. The Rockets obviously being one of them, and we can talk about that in a bit. You know, the Lakers being another, like, a team that has maybe a non-traditional point guard who is also, like, a really, really good offensive facilitator. But the Raptors don't really have that, and their offense has really struggled for it. And the Spurs, as always, are just one of the best prepared teams in the league. Mm -hmm. So last night they come out with a very clear game plan and they're it's not just about sending double teams at Kawhi which a lot of teams will do but it's like every time he has the ball they're overloading the strong side and daring him to try and find like the open shooter on the weak side and he can't do it like he just doesn't really have the vision for it that that's not really who he is it's kind of like one of the one of the lone flaws in his game and he might make a kick out pass to like the strong side that triggers a swing sequence to get somebody open but like he's not making those skip passes to the weak side that is finding shooters right and um, anytime the Raptors tried to drive the ball like the Spurs were showing extra bodies clogging up driving lanes making them kick it out scrambling back out to shooters or just straight up like stealing those kickout passes and going the other way in transition like they had a great defensive game plan and the Raptors didn't really know what to do like if they're not getting dribble penetration with Without yeah. Valentinus and without Lowry there to throw entry passes, like they don't have any kind of post game. So, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, look,
0: this is part of the issue with the Raptors, right? I mean, like they've had a couple of injuries here. Um, and you know, that's coincided with the fact that they've had some of their worst losses over this stretch, right? They got blown out like by almost 30 to Orlando and then they lost by a ton to the Sixers as well. And now they were never in this game against the Spurs, they were down 20 for the whole game and like. You know, going to what on said, I mean, the Raptors basically need to put a lot of pressure on the basket in their pick-and-roll offense. Like, they basically have played the same offense for the last couple of years. They had, Last year, there was a little m- bit more ball movement and a little bit more shooting. But, you know, fundamentally, the, the concept was the same. You, you play pick-and-roll, you put pressure on the basket, and then you kick it out, right? And without Kyle running the show, there is no pressure on the basket. Like, no one else on this team, like you mentioned, can really sustain that kind of pressure. And then when you take out Valanchunas' dive threat as well... I mean, the Raptors' offense just kind of looks ugly and, you know, compounded by the... You also have the fact that, like, look, they can't shoot at all right now, the Raptors. They're like a bottom... I think they're bottom six now in three-point percentage, and, like, it, it's just ugly. They shot six of 30 last night, which is actually kind of flattering when you consider the fact that they, I think they were stuck on three triples for the first three they're quarters. They
1: were, like three of 23 at one point, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then the garbage time in fourth quarter, and then, like, you got Chris Boucher coming in and taking in most—he's actually been one of the Raptors' best three-point shooters, and he's, like, their 15th man, so, I mean, Cash, I mean, are the Raptors still the best team in the East?
1: I still think they are. I think if you like all things considered, if everyone goes into April healthy, I'd still take the Raptors to come out of it. I think we really can't, um, overstate the loss of Lowry. I know he wasn't playing that well in, I guess to like late November, December, but we know what healthy Lowry is this year. We saw it the first month of the season. And this is a guy that can go on one of those tears or for like 10, 11 games. He's like Mm -hmm. flirting with 45%, three point shooting. Um, like Joe mentioned too, just his facilitator. Like it's weird with the Raptors because they're deep at point guard. Like they've got Lowry, Van Vliet, and Wright, but Van Vliet and Wright are so far behind Lowry as a facilitator. And especially this year when Lowry was became like the best. Pa- this is like the best passing year of his career. Um, Serge Ibaka's struggles are largely due to Lowry not being there to put the ball on a platter for him. Like right. Lowry created so many of Serge's open looks, they miss him so much, and even. Valanchunas, for all of his defensive flaws, hasn't been that bad of a rim protector this year. No, he's been solid. He's never going to be a great pick-and-roll defender, but it's just like the easy offense that comes with having JV in the game that you can just dump it into him sometimes, and he'll get you some easy buckets when you're, like, desperately searching for something. But the shooting is what concerns me. Yeah. And if there is something that's going to hold them back, if they do go unhealthy, it's the shooting. And it doesn't make sense. And that's what I think is... they are
0: creating a lot of open looks.
1: They're creating a lot of open looks for good shooters. Like, again... Um, Kawhi Leonard, who's obviously having a great year, he's shooting 35% from three. This is a guy that, like, m- many times has flirted with 40% in a yep. season. Yep. Um, Lowry, you know, started the year on a tear. He's shooting 32.5% from three. Siakam's actually shooting, like, league average, which is surprising. Green's having a good year. Ibaka, 28%. Yeah, CJ Ibaka's Miles. Step back. CJ Miles is shooting 27% from three. Even guys like OG Ananomi and DeLon Wright, who didn't come into the league as great shooters, but, like, showed some flashes last year. Like, they can't shoot. So, I don't know. I I still think it's going to correct itself. And they're generating way too many open looks for good shooters for them not to fall. But at the same time, we're getting to a point in the season where it's like, at what point are they just, this is who they are. Like, we're in January, and this team's shooting 32% from Exactly.
0: And it's like, it's halfway through the season. And you, if you're the Raptors, you might have to consider a trade. And I think, look, this is where, with Norman Powell coming back, and he's playing pretty well so far. I mean, it's only been a couple of games, but he's been sort of steady in terms of his playmaking. If Norm can sustain this level, then the Raptors do have a couple of wing pieces that they could potentially move in trades to maybe go get a more reliable shooter. Now, maybe you don't want to do something like moving OG and Obi for a guy who's essentially going to be a better CJ Miles replacement. That doesn't seem like a great long-term play, but... It's probably got to be something that they consider. But um, going back to the Spurs side of things, though, I mean, we've mentioned they've played really well of late. I think um, LaMarcus Aldrich has really stepped up his effort. I just think that, like, LaMarcus is sort of... It's weird. You really got to motivate the guy, and, like, he'll kind of be hit or miss. But when he really decides to play well, like, last year the Spurs had the third-ranked defense in the league. A lot of that was because they had pretty good perimeter defenders. But it was also because LaMarcus was more engaged than ever. And I think this year, especially of late during this win streak, LaMarcus is coming up really, really clutch for them. Um, And also guys like Derek White. I mean, like, this is the thing. Like, the Spurs just do this. Bryn Forbes, Derek White. Nobody heard of these guys before. Like, nobody, right? And... You know the Spurs just consistently churn these guys out. Derek White, I mean, of late he had like 19 against the Celtics and had 18 against the Raptors. Like, dude can shoot. He can shoot. He can play make. He's got he's got a pretty good assist percentage for a guy who doesn't touch the ball. He's like 21 percent, and I, it's just you gotta you gotta just give it up for the Spurs system.
1: Man, Greg Popovich is uh, like we're not breaking any news here, but he, his preparation and just his ability to max. It's not even maximizing because it's one thing to maximize talents like greg popovich maximizes talents that aren't even there like we spent so much of the first half season talking about how the spurs were a terrible defensive team because look at that roster like there's like two good defenders left on it with deshante murray out for this season and we weren't surprised by the fact they were a bottom five defensive team whatever it was it made complete sense and like joe mentioned now these last 14 games against some pretty good opponents are a top five defense like it does not make any sense other than like Greg Popovich just comes up with these schemes and game plans and is like so prepared. I don't know what else to attribute it to, but this is, this is witchcraft at this point. Like, look at this roster. How are they defending on a night to night basis?
2: Yeah. Uh, As the lone member of the panel who picked the Spurs to make the playoffs this year, um, I (laughs) I will say I'm not totally surprised. Um, but just after how poor they looked early in the season, it's surprising to see how quickly and decisively they've turned it around. Um, I still think they should be shooting more threes. Frankly, they're the number one three-point shooting team in the league in terms of accuracy. They're shooting 40% as a team. Okay, but here's the thing.
0: Can they shoot more threes when Demar and Lamarcus are their two primary guys? Absolutely.
2: I mean, look. Because everyone else around them is shooting threes. Lamarcus has a lot to do with it because if he's feasting on the block, he's going to draw double teams. And that's yeah. how they create a lot of their three-point looks. So yeah. um, a lot of it comes down to how well he's playing. And early in the season, he was playing quite poorly. Uh, He's started to play a lot better of late. And obviously last night you see like he's just destroying Ibaka on the block. And the Raptors have to send constant help. And that's creating looks on the perimeter for, you know, the likes of Derek White and Bryn Forbes.
0: Bryn Forbes shot six to seven from three. Yeah.
2: Bryn Forbes is a really, really solid role player, man. Like he can defend as well. He's got nice, like quick feet, quick Mm -hmm. hands. Um, And obviously, yeah, he's just been shooting the lights out this year. So Uh, and their bench also like generates a lot of three point looks. Um, more so, just kind of like with cutting and passing uh, yeah. than the starters who kind of operate out of the post. But uh, I think like there's enough shooting talent here that they should be looking to. I mean, they play inside out, right? So maybe they look inside first and that's helping them create looks on the outside. But I think as long as like Aldridge is doing work in the post, uh, then they should be able to create more threes than they're creating right now. Um, the funny thing is, DeMar, by the way going back, to, I mean, just coming
0: full circle on this conversation about this uh, this game from last night, Demar on the season has seven total made threes, and part of that is just because Greg Popovich took in Demar and said, look, man, we don't really want you to change your game or whatever. We're going to work with your skill set and maximize you and what you do well, and just go away from things like three-point shooting. Like, look, ultimately, is that going to be something that hurts them going forward? I mean, probably. We'll see in a playoff series where matchups are more uh, important, but Mar doesn't shoot the three anymore at all. Last year he tried; he took like 200 threes. This year he's not shooting it at all. But his field goal percentage is at an all-time high. His uh, leading the or he's having um he's leading the team in assists, and he's having a career high in assists as well. Like that's just what Brad Popovich does. He takes in players and then he maximizes them. And uh, it's 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 been nice to see. Um, the other game from last night, definitely more entertaining in terms of just like the actual gameplay. Rockets beating the Warriors in overtime with James Harden hitting a crazy, crazy game winner, pull up three over Draymond and Clay, I think. And they were both right in his face. And um, Draymond I'll,
2: might have fouled them too. Like I mean, this was just ridiculous. Like you, you could not. I just have- assume
0: that Draymond's fouling somebody. Just yeah.
2: right now, he's probably fouling someone right now in practice. You could not have less space to get a jump shot off yeah. than Harden had on that shot, right? Like he had no airspace whatsoever. None.
1: Mm-hmm. Last 13 games, James Harden averaging roughly 40 points, nine assists, six rebounds, and two steals. Yeah, he's playing all right. This guy, listen, I know it's like slightly hyperbolic when Daryl Morey says things like James Harden might be the best offensive player of all time, but James Harden might be the best offensive player of all time, especially in a Mike D'Antoni system. Like... Last night is a perfect example When you look at it Like James Harden only shot 40% from the field That's a pretty bad night for any other like big score James Harden shoots 40% from the field And yet when you accumulate all of the possessions That James Harden ran Whether individually or ending with an assist A turnover whatever The Rockets scored 1.36 points per possession That would be the greatest offense of all time Yeah on a, Like he created 79 points on 58 possessions On a quote-unquote off-night shooting Like yeah this guy is insane what he does on that end of the floor. And that's why, like, the jokes about his defense, yeah, it's not great, obviously. We see it. He can be a matador on defense when he's not defending in the post. Like, But at some point, you have to just look at what he's doing on the offensive end and realize yeah. that there's, like, maybe, maybe a handful of guys in the history of humanity that can do this on an NBA court. It is absurd the way he bends a defense, the way he creates the most efe- efficient looks for his teammates while also just, like, getting what he wants. It's We're running out of things to say about the guy. Yeah. I mean, me
2: personally, like, I would still probably put Steph ahead of him as far as, like, if we're ranking the That's greatest fair. offensive yeah. players ever. But I do think that, that that makes this a sort of interesting test case for, like, how these players are used. You know, like, if you put Steph in that Mike D'Antoni system, I feel like he could do a lot of the same things Harden can. He, he doesn't have the same kind of strength and he's probably not going to get to the basket as often. Like, Harden, you could probably say, is a little bit better passer. But Curry, with his shooting ability, like... If Steph was allowed to shoot 23 (laughs) three-pointers in one game... Oh, he's just... If he was running pick-and-roll every time, like, if he was handling the ball in every possession, like, I I think he could be doing a lot of the same things. I don't want to, you know, veer off course and make this a conversation about Steph. But, yeah, look, I mean... Harden shot 23 threes last game. Like, that is (laughs) absurd. Yeah, I mean... I think most teams five years
0: ago weren't even shooting 23 threes per game. And he's taking 23 oh, by himself. Yeah.
2: No, it's it's he, completely mental. And he made 10 of them. Yeah. And, yeah. like, again,
1: that's the thing. Like the step backs. And, and like, like, 10 of 23 us. doesn't sound good. But when it's three-pointers, that's solid. Because it's, like, 43% and you're getting 30 points on 20. Like, that is a yeah. good night. 10 of 23 is a great yeah. shooting night. And it's, like, for almost anybody else, you would just think, okay, you
2: know that step back is coming. Like, just... Do everything you can, sell out to stop that step back. But what can you do? It happens so quickly. Like, yeah, and he's a threat to drive. If if you're playing him too close, you know he's going to get that three shot foul. Yeah, or he's going to drive right past you and get to the basket, and either get fouled there or finish at the rim. Like, or throw the lob. Yeah, and that—that's the thing. Like, I I know these conversations about Harden so often become conversations about aesthetics. Like, is he enjoyable to watch? Is it good for basketball? Which is fine, Like, you know, we all watch basketball for different reasons and, and caring about aesthetics on a basketball court is, is perfectly acceptable. But um, in terms of just like what he is able to do as, you know, within the confines of NBA rules uh, is, is just like pretty preposterous. And I don't know what you do to really guard him. And I think one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is just how good of a passer he is. Yeah. And this stuck out to me more than anything during uh, that game against the Thunder on Christmas Day when it was like yep. they literally threw every different kind of pick and roll coverage at him. Yep. and whether he was scoring or you know just finding one of his teammates, whether, you know whether it was with a skip pass to the weak side Bro, or he had that a pocket skip pass, pass to the like roll man behind the back
0: between two defenders in rhythm to Clint Capella for a dunk. Yeah, it, it just and OKC is like the best defense in the league.
2: They couldn't do anything. And last night it was like the Warriors would basically throw these soft traps at him, yeah. where they would bring two defenders, but he would just be able to dribble out of it. And then you know they would fear that he was going to be able to make that pass to like an open shooter, so they would abandon the double team, and then he would f- suddenly like have space to shoot or space to drive. Um,
1: like th- there is no
2: coverage that he can't exploit.
1: That that crazy like the numbers I was talking about that run he's on when that run started. Um, as recently as like 25, like three and a half weeks ago, the Rockets are 11 and 14, mm-hmm. 13th in the West. Yep. And three games back of a playoff spot in the lost call, like of a playoff spot. Yeah. Uh, they're now fourth in the West. Yep. A loss behind the Warriors for third in the West and three and a half games back of first. That is in three and a half weeks. They And I know the West is jumbled, but still. You know, like they leaped what nine teams in three weeks, and it's almost single handedly because Paul, yeah, yeah,
0: Chris Paul hasn't been there, right? Like, basically, what James Harden is doing this year is what Kobe was doing that 06 season when he had 81 and he had that stretch of like 50 point games. Um, and he had like 60 and three quarters against the Mavericks. That's basically what James Harden is doing, like, I honestly, and,
1: except I want, being a, a better playmaker, too, exactly,
2: and more efficient, yeah, yeah. like. I actually want to go and compare this now because. Uh, oh, yeah, let's so, get the Kobe truthers in on this. I mean, Harden's true shooting percentage this year, 62.3%. Like,
1: that's incredible for a Yo, guy who creates most of his own offensive of isolation. This guy relies on step back threes yeah. and scores as efficiently as a big man.
2: Yeah. So, and Kobe in that, what was it, 04 when he averaged like I think 35 it was points a game? 05 06. 05 06? Yeah. 55.9% uh, true shooting. I mean. But,
1: the, yeah. The, you know, okay, wh- sorry, what did you say? What was Kobe's true shooting that year? 55.9%. And
2: that was like compared to 62.3 for a Okay,
1: so and consider this. Like that's like obviously peak Kobe. Like the year he drops 81, he averages 35. Yeah. And his true shooting is 55%. Great year. James Harden, okay, career true shooting percentage, sixty point nine, sixty two point three 60.9. 62.3 this year, 61.9 last year, 61.3. James Harden's worst true shooting percentage in the last nine years, 59.8. Yeah. <laughs> this got like 60% is average for him. Yeah, it is
2: well. absurd. Another thing, so Kobe that season, his assist rate was 24%. Harden's this year is 43.6%.
0: I mean, it's incredible. And and if we're going to extend that analogy, you know, James Harden had no help. Kobe had no help, you know. Smush Parker was his point guard. and. <laughs> James Harden. I mean, yes, Chris. Paul.
1: No, I'm kidding. Listen, if, if, <laughs> the Chris the, if is Smush, far, if Smush Parker played with James Harden, he'd have some open corner threes he could feast on. Absolutely. All right, w- would you? Have you guys moved Harden ahead of Giannis yet in the MVP race? I, I put he's them. Neck, be number one. I put them neck and neck right now. Mm. I, I still give Giannis the edge mm. only because I do want to go like whole season. And the fact that he, the Bucks have
2: been the best team in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. They have been so consistent. Like they've had yeah. so few letups. And so few slumps Like you're looking Every team okay. in the league Has and- gone through like Some serious slumping right Yeah We're talking about the Raptors Like the Warriors obviously um, The Celtics Like the Sixers All these elite teams That like haven't really been able To put it together For the entire season so far The Bucks have done that man Like they They have had So few letdown games And They have like by far The best point differential In the league Like they've taken care of business And Giannis has Gotten it done at both ends Of the floor And I think that to me, like again, I say they're they're neck and neck. I'm not ready to put Harden ahead of him yet, just because it's what it's been a month now that he's been doing this, mm-hmm. and you know before that the Rockets were a bit of a mess, and he has to bear some responsibility for that too.
0: Look, the only thing I would say about this is that Giannis has a system around him, and I'm not doing the whole Steph Curry's a system around him thing, like, but Giannis really does play in a system where the, the big difference this year is that Mike Budenholzer is there and the role players are playing well around Giannis, right? Whereas, like, James Harden, when you watch the actual games, there's not really so much of a system from He is Dan the Tone. system. He is just him. It's just him, right? Like, all of his assists are him earning those assists and all of his points are him creating them for himself. And, like, the the way he's doing it for the Rockets is, is crazy because, like, if you compare the supporting cast, I mean, Milwaukee's supporting cast is way better. Also, Milwaukee's had great, great health. Like, have they had a single injury outside of, like, Ursan? Who's always like going to miss a couple of games here and there? Like
1: I don't think they've had any major ones yet. Yeah, this year.
0: Giannis played thirty-four games. Middleton thirty-four. Eric Bledsoe thirty-six. Brogdon thirty-three. Brooke Lopez thirty-six. They've had their starting lineup like every day. Whereas, like you look at the Rockets, like they I don't know. I, listen, I
1: definitely think Harden is like considering where he would have been in the MVP race and where the Rockets were three weeks, four weeks ago, whatever it was, I definitely think Harden is like as close as you can get Mm -hmm. to being there. I just, I'd still give Giannis the edge. And and even though I said we shouldn't dwell on James Harden's defense, I do think it should be noted that like, like Joe mentioned, I mean, Giannis is arguably playing at like first team, all defense level on that. That is true.
0: Right. right? That is Um, true. Uh, Okay. Quickly, before we go to break, um, are the Rockets, your second best team in the West. I've already said that. A month back, when they were struggling, I, I just figured the talent was going to win through. But for you guys, are the Rockets the second best team in the West?
1: I'm still going with the like the Thunder, and obviously that's not even giving enough credit to the Nuggets, who are the I first was right say, now. But yeah. I'd still say, based on their like present roster construction, I'd still go with the Thunder. I think Paul George might be playing the best basketball of his career right now. I think so, 100. Yeah, and and if Russ ever figures it out, shooting wise, while he's doing kind of everything else, like. I still think that's a team that is just has a little bit more than the Rockets do this year. Uh, I'm going to
2: stick with the Nuggets for now. Like I've been saying, okay. I think they're the second-best team in the West. Uh, I will hold to that. But if the Rockets get fully healthy for the playoffs, like, they would probably be my pick to make it to the conference finals at this point in time. And I, like, I agree with you. The Thunder are playing great, and I might put them ahead of the Rockets in the pecking order right now as well. Because their defense is just so rock solid and so reliable, but in a playoff series, yeah. I would worry about them. More I, do than I would not trust Russell Westbrook Rockets.
0: in a playoff series. Period.
2: Right. Also, Russell and Westbrook, between, and, and just like the structural issues on that roster and their yeah. lack of shooting. Like, I just I don't know if it's gonna work. Um, like, I think they can win around for sure, but I don't know if they can make it to the conference finals <laughs> with you know with the roster they have right now. Like, maybe they have a trade to make. We've talked about that before, but um, yeah, I mean, like the, the Rockets, I think have the highest ceiling of those teams. Let's say that.
1: Yeah. Uh, real quick, I know we said that's so how we were getting the segment, but uh, Joe mentioned the non-call on Dream on Green. Earlier. Oh. How, how did we not mention the the non-call on Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant. Yo, okay, that's one of the worst non-calls I've seen in a while. One though. of okay. the worst, dude. Kevin Durant. That was retribution for the double step back. <laughs> KD was practically sitting in the stands on all four of his <laughs> burner phones on that play, and they still didn't call it. Like,
2: yo, oh, yeah, man. I don't know, I. Uh, I I, I just what, Did they just like Really respect the effort Like yo,
0: There's, there's <laughs> like a There's like a still shot Of the referee Whoever it was That's on the sideline Looking
2: directly At the play I mean what else Would you be looking at It's not like There's a crowd It's just Durant is fully out of bounds yeah. That was <laughs> Yo okay You know they, they have like The writing that Says Warriors Like on the end line He was behind <laughs> yeah. The letters yeah. yeah
0: he's like Touching the cameraman As he was touching the basketball No he could
2: not have been Further out of bounds Like without being In the courtside seats
1: That's, that's insane, insane. It was like, out of bounds
0: insane. like the
2: way Steph Curry was shooting the corner tunnel
0: shot. Like, yeah. It was like, oh, my God.
1: Daryl Morey, of yeah. course, then tweeted the image, uh, mm-hmm. the memeable image of Sandra yeah. Bullock with her eyes uh, covered from Bird Box. Yeah. Yeah. I Probably. mean, thank God
2: Harden made that shot yeah. to win the game, right? Because otherwise we would have just had to have a whole other unpleasant conversation yeah. about NBA officiating, which you know I hate. yeah. Because it's a thankless job, and I actually think they do it pretty well, and they never get credit when they do their jobs right. But that was one of the more (laughs) egregious missed calls that we've ever seen. That was bad. That was bad.
0: Actually, Joe Wolfon runs the NBA refs account on Twitter.
2: (laughs) That
1: goes at Chris Webber. (laughs) Well, everyone should go at Chris Webber. He's awful at his job.
0: Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break right here. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the Wizards and finish with make or miss. Hey, listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores podcast network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our featured content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to the second half of the podcast, still here with Cash and Wolfon. We're going to quickly touch on the Washington Wizards, which, you know, look, there's no other reason to talk about the Wizards this year other than, you know, their disaster. They continue to be such, I mean, John Wall needs season-ending surgery, um, you know, Markeith Morris is out six weeks with a neck issue, uh, I don't know, man, Cash, what should this team do?
1: Are, are you really asking me this question? We, we're be like, are we gotta you gotta give it like a theme music? Are, or are you really asking me this question in the year of our Lord 2019? Yeah. All right, like, come on, guys. If the fact that these show notes aren't just massive fire, Ernie, like all caps, like you're asking me what they should do as if we don't know the answer. All right, honestly, Ted Leonsis is probably gonna let Ernie Grunfeld do the surgery. <laughs> I like, wouldn't be surprised, actually. <laughs>
2: What do you think they should do, Wolf? Oh, my God. Uh, I think they should tank. And, like, I've said before, I do not think they should trade Bradley Beal. I don't think they need to trade Bradley Beal. Like, they can maybe start resting Beal for some games. Like, just take their foot off the pedal a little bit and sort of, like, you know, they don't have to be so transparent about it. But, like, the team has obviously not been good all season long. And... Losing Morris, you know, who hasn't been great, and losing Wall, who, frankly, hasn't been that great, like, those are still two of, like, their five starters who are not going to be playing for the next couple of months, and Wall, obviously, for the rest of the season. uh, I think it would be pretty easy for this team to just basically go into the tank and get, you know, maybe a top-ten pick that's actually going to help them, like, turn things around and reshape the identity of this team, which has obviously gone so, so stale, And they need something like that to happen to, like, pull them out of this malaise, right? And obviously this injury is not going to help John Wall's trade value, which was probably non-existent to begin with. But I I can't stress this enough. Like, they should not panic by trading Uh, Beal. I didn't even really understand the trade for Ariza. I said that at the time, like... I know well, people want to trade him again, so <laughs> they I should. mean maybe, they but to. like what, like I don't know what anybody's giving up for him. I don't know if they're going to get an asset back that's even as good as Ubre. and I, I people aren't particularly high on Oubre. I think he's fine. Yeah, he's, he's fine. still pretty young, and he he's a wing, like yeah. he plays a premium position, and he has some upside. So to get one year of thirty-four-year-old Trevor Ariza, you know, so that they could chase an eight seed didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I'm sure, they can get KCP from the Lakers. <laughs> Yeah, man. I so I, I think I think it's fine because they weren't going anywhere anyway, yeah. and now at least I think this makes it a little bit easier for them to go into the tank. Uh, that being said, like they, they have a lot of out, uh, a lot of teams to out tank to like get to the bottom. Yeah, but but this I think ensures at
1: least that they won't really make up any ground. So yeah, honestly, I it sounds weird to say, but I don't know how much John Wall's injury changes much because. I he think wasn't they had already that much. they had dug themselves too much of a hole anyway. Like they were like five games back, I think, in the loss column uh, of a playoff spot. But I also don't think even without Wall, I still think they're. It's weird to say about the Wizards, but I still think they're too good to like be in that realm with like the Cavs, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Suns. So I just kind of think they were gonna be where they are right now, like sixth worst, worst record. It's just like that's what they were gonna be the rest of the season anyway. And I think all this does is, as Joe mentioned, it just kind of like dissolves what was left, if any, of John Wall's trade value. So I, I don't know. And then, yeah, they might get a great pick, but unless I, it's not even a joke at this point, unless management changes, like what, yeah. there's no faith that it'll be run correctly. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, so here's the thing. Like, they, yeah, I,
2: I, everything you're saying, like they have the sixth worst record in the league right now, which I like, that's kind of crazy. I, I would not have thought that they were that low, but yeah. um, I would have like, if they'd stayed healthy, I probably would have expected them to pass the magic maybe past the Nets, maybe past the Wolves, like they could have made up some ground. And now I think they'll be firmly entrenched as like the sixth worst team, because I don't think they'll, they'll like sink low enough to get below the Hawks who have the fifth worst record in the league right now. Um, With the flattened lottery odds this year, I mean, like, you know, they got got a chance to get a really solid pick and, and for all the harping we've done on their front office, they haven't they haven't really drafted poorly. Like Beal was a great pick at number three. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Otto Porter was a fine pick in what was a really weak draft class.
0: The issue with Otto Porter was that they paid him too much too soon.
2: Yeah, but, but also, I mean, well, like that was also the market. They at the were kind of they were kind of over a barrel there. You yeah. know, I don't know that they really had a choice in the matter. And John Walls a pretty good pick. Yeah. Well, didn't the Kings sign him to that offer sheet, or, or how did that, how did that end Someone up?
1: Someone signed Otto Porter or the Nets. Yeah, Some, the Nets. Someone, the, Nets. The,
0: Nets him to, Yo, the Nets were signing everyone offers. I don't
1: sheets. remember if, if
2: he got like you an offer sheet and they matched
1: sheets. it. or They were just like, they were going to get an
2: offer sheet. Yeah. I can't remember. But either way, like he was an RFA, and there was a ton of interest in him. And you know their other option was to lose him for nothing. So I don't think they necessarily made a wrong decision there. Obviously, it's not looking great right now because he seems to have plateaued a bit. But like... They've made justifiable decisions. It's just unfortunate that the parts haven't coalesced into something greater than what they are. But uh, you give this team a top five pick, then it's not like they're just going to throw it away. Like I think you can count on them to at least, um, you know, put a blue chipper on the roster and yeah. and hope that the rest sort of figures itself out. But I think. There, there's a silver lining here and that is the season was going nowhere anyway and now at least uh they can be sure that it's going to result in in a high draft pick yeah
0: and when you look at this wizards roster right now it's so random i mean like trevor reese has been there for eight games he's playing 39.3 minutes per game and he's taking 14 shots a game auto porter by rough uh you know just in comparison by the way he's taking 9.5 shots that's a guy that they you know invested a max contract into that's very strange but um You look at the rest of that roster, I mean, like, Sam Decker, Thomas Bryant plays all the time now. He's just, like, the full-time starter because Dwight has just completely just disappeared. Um Ron Baker. I mean, like, man, this is a was a very strange roster. Yeah. Why on this...
2: earth is Trevor Ariza playing thirty nine minutes? I don't know, man. They're like really the trying to get the their same. whole money's worth with Trevor Ariza. Yeah, but they should probably move him. And Beal's playing thirty seven minutes, and that's what I'm saying when I talk yeah. about like. The, like and Beal has injury
0: a... issues, man. I mean, like, it's a history there. He's gotten a lot. He's gotten over it, and he's gotten better. But
2: you just don't want to. No, he's just, played every yeah, single he... game this year, playing almost thirty seven minutes a game. So yeah, you don't want to overload him. man. It's like if you want to do sort of a soft tank. Start sitting Beal, like, you know, every five games or so, or at least scale back on his minutes. Like, you now no longer have any reason to try and win, so. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's end up with make or miss. Uh, you know, the deal is pretty
0: straightforward. I'm going to read a statement. These guys are going to either agree with it, which is a make, or disagree. It's a miss. First one, make or miss. Brooklyn will make the playoffs over Detroit.
1: Oh, near miss. I, I really want to go make. Um. Because mm. you, you, you guys know I'm scoffering. high on uh, the job uh, Sean Marks has done in Brooklyn for real, but I, I still think Detroit, as bad as they are, have just enough talent to like hold off the Nets in what I think will be a good race. But I think Detroit holds on to the eight seed.
2: Okay, can we tweak this question though? Like, what if we just said, "Will like Brooklyn will make the playoffs?" Would you call like because it because this to me is like a five team race now with, with the Wizards basically bowing out. Uh, Five teams battling for three spots. So you have the Heat who are 18 and 18. The Hornets are 18 and 19. Pistons, 17 and 19. Nets, 18 and 21. And the Magic are 17 and 20. So of those five teams, I feel like I would probably bet on the Nets being one of the three that gets a playoff spot. Whether it's like the Hornets or the Heat or the Pistons that fall out. The Nets have been playing better, I think. The Heat have been playing really well, but I think the Nets have been playing better than the Hornets. They've been playing better than the Pistons. And at some point, they're going to get Karis Levert back. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know, man. I think... And and I'm I'm actually writing, column about the Nets right now that uh, you can read on the score tomorrow. But um, what I like about this team is, like, they have had a sound process in place for the last three seasons. And even when they didn't have the talent to make it matter... They've really done a great job of like sticking to those principles. They move the ball, they shoot a ton of threes, and they get a lot of shots at the rim. They like excise mid-range shots from their diet. Um, they do the opposite and, on defense. Like, yeah, exactly. And and they've they've been really good defensively at like forcing other teams to you know into taking inefficient shots as well. And like they just they play hard, they play together, uh, and they finally actually like have the talent on the roster to make it count. And like we're seeing that bear out. So I I would probably stake my money on them to sneak into the playoffs in the east yeah this is like basically the trajectory the sixers are on
0: before they made a big because they were playing the right way they're doing the right things except this team doesn't have like that joel mb type of superstar on the roster right, right. But, which is
2: why you know they don't you know. have the upside to like get into the top half of the bracket but right um you know depending on what happens with all their cap space this coming summer uh but for now they have a lot of balance they have a lot of depth Dinwiddie's been outstanding like d'angelo russell has started to like yep. play really really well i think the one more thing is i don't think like russell dinwiddie and lavert can all
0: thrive at the same time i just don't think there's well they can't of i the don't ball.
2: i don't think they will all play together and even okay. like dinwiddie and russell have really struggled when they've been on the floor together this season right um and lavert i think was really thriving playing on the ball too before he got injured so there's definitely gonna have to be a feeling out process there if and when he does come back but um they have a formula in place that they know is going to lead to success, and they finally actually like have the players who are good enough to execute it and win games as a result. So uh, i'm I'm pretty high on them. I think they've been playing really well. and uh, yeah, I think you know, whether it's the hornets or the pistons or the heat that fall out, uh, I, I feel like the Nets are going to be in that mix.
1: If it wasn't for that eight-game losing streak where they lost like every game by yeah. one point, yeah. they'd be in a playoff spot right yeah. now.
2: But I, but that's also like you know their recent stretch where they've gone I think ten and three in their last thirteen. They've won a bunch of close games, so right. yeah, you know their luck has started to turn in that regard. But um, Dinwiddie, well, man. Dinwiddie is the closer that no one really knows about. He's he's not bad in the au- at all. He's awesome, man. He like, really he's, is fun. He's man. put himself into that six man of the year conversation too with the way he's yeah. played. Lately. Oh,
0: definitely. Def- I th- he should be the leading candidate. I think Derrick Rose yeah. is ultimately going to win, but. Yeah, he's played really well. Yeah. Um check out his interview with Alex Wong. Oh, on, that's right. Uh, At large. At large. That's right. Alex and his Woj voice. Uh next one. Make or miss. Kevin Love will be dealt by the trade deadline.
1: Miss. I think a love deal happens in the offseason, if anything. I just think I don't think there's enough time like when he comes back from injury and to kind of get a team to bite on what's left of that contract. So I'm going miss.
2: <sighs> yeah, I will go miss as well. And I, I don't even know if a trade happens in the summer, man. That, that contract is kind of starting to look prohibitive mm. with his injury history and the fact that he's barely played this season in the first year of that mammoth extension like I don't know it's kind of in John Wall territory right now where Ooh. it's like Whoa. like, is it worth it to take on the money and like then is it worth it for the Cavs to basically unload him for a minuscule return they're not going to
0: get too much from for John Wall uh, right. so it's life.
2: almost like what's really the point of trading him at this point when he's going to have so little trade value? Like I, I almost think, I don't know if he quite has negative asset value yet, but it's almost like neutral asset value where I don't right. think they'd be getting a first round pick in return. And if they're not getting a first round pick, then what's the point of trading? Him? Um, I will say that Love
0: would be a very intriguing piece for a lot of teams, especially if you're looking to go up against Milwaukee, just because the way Milwaukee defends, they're going to drop their bigs back. And if you have Kevin Love as one of the premium spacing uh, centers in the league, then, yeah, you would probably like to use him. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the contract is is pretty tough. I'm sure the the Cavs are probably trying to move him, though. I don't think they're too attached to that. Next one, make or miss. uh, Justin Holiday makes any difference for the Grizzlies, who have uh, lost, I think, 10 of the last 13.
2: Uh, I'll say miss Like I guess he will make Some difference for them But not enough for it to matter Like he's not going to be The difference between them Making or missing the playoffs So
1: That's true holiday Oh Justin Holliday Sorry <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I got the names Mixed up Just because we're talking About the Grizzlies So I'm not sure Who's uh, Which holiday is which As you know The Grizzlies aren't Very oh, good with the last wow. names And
0: <laughs> Actually they traded For Aaron Holliday <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Would have been a better trade Honestly it's, it's, Probably it's, actually They need point it's guards It's not yeah. going
1: to make Much of a difference I think Justin Holliday is probably better suited for a lesser role, obviously, than he had in Chicago yeah. when he was way too high usage, but it's not He's been good. shooting
2: really good from yeah. three, but yeah. I just... And he's actually, like, he's a decent defender. Yeah. He's, like, he's probably the best wing defender on the Bulls, which probably says more about the Bulls' <laughs> wing defense than it does about him. But, like, he's fine. He's a useful player. I just think the Grizzlies, to me, are actually, like, so far away from from getting into the playoffs like I know they're close in the standings but in terms of like the actual talent on the roster I just I, I can't see him being the difference exactly. in making or missing out
0: yeah also what was up with that random fight they had in the locker room Caspian Temple that's a very strange fight yeah it is And like Chris um,
1: Wallace comes out and like apologizes on behalf of them it's like Bro, how is he still with the Grizzlies? Also, and like the thing with the Grizzlies too is as uh, great as Marc Gasol is. Yeah, and we've seen this before. Like when things start to go south. Oh yeah, yeah Marc Gasol is not that pleasant to be around. Yeah, kind of prickly. Um, I mean, not-
0: look, if the Grizzlies keep falling apart, maybe we maybe there's more tra- uh, Marc Gasol yeah. trade talk, and it's probably a better trade target than Kev Love for most of the same reasons. He's better defensively, and he shoots a little bit better right now, and he's obviously healthier. But uh, all right, moving on, make or miss. All right, this is not even a statement, really. The Mavericks are patenting the nickname El Matador for Luka Doncic.
1: I'm just gonna, even though it's not a statement, I'm just gonna call it a miss in the sense that I think, like, come on, that's the best nickname you. First of all, when you think of basketball and matadors, you think of guys who are bad defensively. Yeah. So like, I don't know if a player wants to be called El Matador. I, I, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, this this is a miss. This is pretty bad. Everything else about Luka Doncic has been phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I we could do better. He doesn't need
2: a nickname like. For 20 years, you've had Dirk, and he was just Dirk, right? Mm-hmm. And now you have Luca, who could yeah. just be Luca. Like it's the perfect passing of the torch. Like yep. all you need is his first name, because nobody else in the league who matters has that first name. Like yeah. it, you know, it embodies him perfectly. And I feel like it, you know, symbolically, it just makes for a seamless transition from one era of Mavericks basketball to another. Um, also, he's not Spanish.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People just forgot. Know, how this. many slow, how many uh, Slovenian matadors are out there.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I don't think the same tradition maybe he exists. I don't know. But
1: by the way, shouts out to Luka Doncic for tweeting out the Drake uh, meme. I think it's from the Hotline Bling video. He tweeted out the like, you know, the Drake meme where the top half is him kind of like shooing something away. Yeah, and yeah, it's like Luka Doncic shooing away open threes, but then endorsing step back threes. Yeah,
0: and stuff. He's really good, man. Him and uh, James Harden, the best step backs in the league. Uh, next one Make or miss Russell Westbrook Should keep shooting His way out of the slump So for for context Westbrook is shooting Like 23% On five threes a game It's The worst volume Three point shooting season ever That's currently He's on pace for
1: This is such an obvious miss Like no He should not Keep shooting his way Out of a slump Because he's not A good shooter To begin with This is not a good shooter Shooting his way Out of a slump This is a bad shooter Trying to shoot his way Out of a slump Like what, are you going to shoot your way back to your like 31% career or whatever it is. Like, no, just don't do it. I do He kind of has think to think that right, there's though?
2: like an interesting conversation to be had about whether it's beneficial for guys who are poor shooters to take open threes when they are presented. And it's like this whole thing with Ben Simmons like he kind of kills the Sixers offense a lot of the time when the ball comes to him and he has an open three and he doesn't even look at the rim and doesn't even think about shooting it. It just makes it really easy. For the defense to kind of game plan around him and it's the same thing that draymond green does green is going through right now and like i don't think it's that easy because i i think if you if a guy is not even like willing to shoot when he has a wide open three then it just makes it that much easier for the defense to ignore him on the perimeter whereas like if he's at least willing to take threes and will like occasionally knock down a couple in a row then that changes the way like a defense has to approach right. you right and like you right. can't really play, like, five on four anymore. Like, you actually have to guard that guy on the perimeter because of the threat of him at least taking the jump shot. So I don't know if he should be shooting five threes a game. In fact, I think he probably shouldn't be. Uh, But I don't know if he should, like, abandon the idea of jump shots altogether. All right, last one,
0: make or miss. Uh, Speaking of Ben Simmons, the Philadelphia 76ers deserve three All-Stars, which will be very strange because in the Eastern Conference – I think they would be the only team with three.
1: Here's the thing. I, I'm fine. I'm gonna call this a make because I've never been a big fan of the like, well, this team is in like the best team, whatever it is, so they need three. I think it's like you're either an all star or you're not. Mm. And it's not like the Sixers are a bad team. They're still a good team. If there's three guys on their team that are good enough to be all stars, I don't think they should like lose one because there's two teams ahead of them. Like the Raptors don't have three all stars. As good as Siakam and at times Ibaka have been. There's not three all-stars on that team. Even Milwaukee, as much as I like Middleton, like I, well that's even only two. Again, not three all-stars. I, Philly has three guys that I think are all-stars regardless of where they are in the East. They're three all-stars. Make.
2: Yeah, it's close for me. I mean, realistically Simmons would be the guy left out if anyone, right? But I mean, hey, he's having a, a 16 points per game, 9 rebounds, 8
0: assists, pretty good defensively. Doesn't yeah, really shoot no, jumpers, I, I but... think
2: very good defensively, honestly. Yeah. Like, that—that that is where he derives a lot of his value. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he, he... If the Sixers hadn't been kind of underachieving, and their record's not bad... They're not um, underachieving by that much. They're nine games over. It's its fine. 25 and 14, I think... I just feel like anecdotally, you know, you know and just, like, basing it on the eye test, they haven't looked yeah. that good. Okay. Um And I don't know. I don't know how much of that it's fair to hold against Simmons when they have so many issues with, like, their depth. Uh, But I don't know, man. It it feels like a bit of a sticking point to me. So I'm going to say miss and say that they don't deserve three all-stars just because I don't think they've been good enough to justify it, even though all three guys individually probably have pretty strong cases to be in that game. Yeah, I mean, look, part of this just speaks to the fact that the Eastern Conference is really sad, right? Like, you
0: look at the Southeast Division, I mean, you got Miami, you got Charlotte, you got Orlando, Washington, and Atlanta. Like, there is maybe two or three all stars there. Like Vucic, you got,
1: Vucic uh, Vucevic, and Kemba are the only two all stars I think in yeah, that division. Yeah, yeah. Like Vuc, Vuc should you, be you could a put Beal in
2: for the all star game. For the record, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I mean like, lock. Yeah. If him if, and
1: Kemba are both locks to me, yeah.
0: If you want to put Dwayne Wade in the all star game, just for
2: like,
1: well, he's going to get reasons. voted. He's probably going to get a starting spot. No, he won't
2: because it, it, it's it's no longer purely the fan vote, right? And I do think yeah, like the sure. the media slash player vote will even that out, unless like the players might. Vote I think the overwhelmingly players... for Wade yeah. also. Yeah, but if Wade gets gets in, then yeah, that sort of like screws everything else up. But, um, but but look, if you look at the central, for example, Cleveland, no one's going.
0: Chicago, no one's going. Detroit, Griffin. Blake's I think Blake's gonna go. You could maybe put the Drummond case in there, but whatever Mm -hmm. indiana they really only have one in oladipo and it's even Oladipo's had a kind of an off year for him milwaukee like we mentioned maybe has one or two
2: yeah i think middleton gets in
0: right and then you look at the rest i mean like brooklyn no one's gonna go new york no one's gonna go then like boston you probably got one you're not gonna put al horford in the game this year he's he's not been as good and you know toronto basically has like two all-stars so like when you look at the whole like thing like you only have so many people to pick from so you might as well put ben Simmons in the all-star game but um that does it for the podcast. Um, again, apologies for the uh, the break. We were away for a little bit, but we're back. Full-time. Pound the Rock. Cash. Wolf on. We're signing up.